1: Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.
0: And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah
2: and Bucky Brooks.
0: What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks, as we look toward a big NFL weekend with some, uh, some big games we're going to jump into here in a little bit, also going to... Uh, throw on a chat I had, Buck, a little bit earlier in the day with Charles Davis. And then uh, we'll get to some college picks. But I, I want to start you off here uh, first right out the gate. Why do you why do you hate the Pittsburgh Steelers, man? You're just fighting with I the don't Pittsburgh Steelers like, fans I don't, like, I think, on Twitter I think,
3: all day long. I think fans are funny. I think fans are funny because never in any other situation would you advocate, like, taking someone's stuff. Stealing stuff out of somebody's locker? <laughs> yeah, and I Tell think, the story. Tell I, the story. I, I think the funny thing is, like, uh, I guess Ed Bouchette um, – Famous, write up in Pittsburgh, had uh, on video the players, kind of taking Lev Bell's nameplate off, and then they kind of, p- kind of, I would say pillaged, plundered his stuff, Pil- pilfered, <laughs> like <laughs> his stuff, like, play- like all of the stuff in it in his locker, like the Jordans and the cleats and all the other stuff. And to me, I just said, like, really, look, whatever you think about Levy and Bell, like whether they handled it, rightly or wrongly, I think the actions kind of speak more to the Steelers, and maybe some of the character flaws on their team and the lack of maturity because never at any situation, be it as a player as a front office exec have I ever seen anybody go through someone's locker and take their stuff when they're not there. Regardless, so, so
0: here's here's one question I want to ask you on that because obviously I, I didn't was in college locker rooms, you were in NFL locker rooms. Mm-hmm. So like in college, the, the stuff all your new stuff every year you start the season is distributed from the equipment staff. Everybody gets the same exact thing. So I think some people looked at that and said, "Okay, This was the stuff that the equipment staff had for him, and then he's not there. So, obviously, it just goes to waste. In the NFL, it's a little bit different.
3: Yeah, it is a little different. You get the team-issue stuff, but um, a lot of these guys have individual contracts with shoe companies. So, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour will send their players, their athletes, like specially-made cleats – Lev Bell is a Nike athlete, but I think he's on the Jordan brand. So he has a bunch of different Jordans. Which that stuff is, like, is not getting distributed to everybody else on the not, team. It's, it's not, not like I'm
0: getting another extra pair of shoes. Like yeah, this it's, is his, it's,
3: These are his shoes. Yeah, those are his things. And, like, like, look, at the end of every year, players will clean out their lockers. However, star players are guys that you know are going to be around. They kind of have a tendency to leave their stuff in the locker. Everyone kind of knows that. And it's kind of status quo. And with Lead Bill not being there for 10 months, like I can understand the thought is like, oh, he's never coming back. But this still is retaining his rights, typically based on like being able to use the French transition tag or anything that they want. Yeah. Typically, you just kind of leave guys things alone. So to me, I just was kind of blown away, not necessarily even by the act of taking his stuff. Just kind of like the whole lack of respect that I've seen take they place. They celebrated in it. They kind of they yeah, kind of the, the, in the whole it a bit. way, and and so I'm just like, man, just be careful because typically that has some karma to it. So just be careful what you wish for because you may get it. And I'm not saying that Lev Bell has handled this right. I'm not saying that if I was advising him, I would have told him to walk away from $14.5 million. But whatever decision he makes, that's like a business decision. And when it comes to that, typically – the unspoken rule was you typically don't talk about another person's contract, their money, their wives or girlfriends. Like you typically stay away from those things. And so everything that I've seen in the Stiller's locker room kind of breaks the code. And because I was getting so tied to it, I was like, hold on, let me, let me reach out and just make sure I'm not the old dude in the building and talk to Reggie Wayne and a couple other guys. Yeah. And they were like, Dude, I've never seen anything like this. Like, I've never seen anything like this take place in a locker room. And so we're we'll just going to see how it plays out. I, I just think it's an interesting scenario uh, to watch it play out. But then on the field, I think the big thing on the field um, will be how much will Levy and Bill be missed for the Steelers going down the stretch. The so Steelers are playing really well. They won, what, five hot? since starting out like one one yeah, scoring a zillion points. Scoring a zillion points, they, they've kind of found their way. And so I was like, well, let me reach out to a couple defensive coaches that have faced them, that know them, or whatever. And I had a D coordinator tell me, like, look, we're happy that Lev Bell isn't there because it really allows us to kind of dig down and kind of focus on who we want to stop. And he said, look, I think when you play the Steelers, particularly down the stretch and in the playoffs, you want to make it a situation where you take Juju Smith-Schuster and A.B. out the game and make James Conner and the tight ends win the game. He was like, to me, uh, let's die a slow death as opposed to the quick death that A.B. and Juju Smith-Schuster can kind of put on us. Another dude that I talked to that had faced the Steelers early in the season said, look, we underestimated Conner. Conner's a really good player. Um, He's not flashy. He's a blue-collar player, and we didn't necessarily think he was as good as what he was so we went in thinking hey let's take away 84 take away 19 don't let those guys get out and let's see if connor can beat him he said look connor connor beat us he hurt us he said i think they can go far in the playoffs with him he said but their style will look different than the style that we've seen and the more he plays the more people will get a feel for this offense because remember new offensive coordinator, people didn't know what Randy Fincher was going to do with this offense, new number one back in James Conner, you're still trying to figure out are they going to play the old way or the new way, and so the more that they play, the more we'll get a chance to see. This weekend will be good, the Jacksonville Jaguars, even though the Jaguars aren't great, aren't playing well right now, that would be good, but the game that I'm really looking at will be how do they play against the Patriots. The Patriots have always been their nemesis. The Patriots are known for making people play left-handed, what does the Steelers offense look like when they don't, um, when they have to play a matchup against a heavyweight contender?
0: Yeah, on the on the field stuff. Look, I, the one thing I would caution on that, and we we talk to probably a lot of the same people, and and sometimes in the NFL, coaching wise. Uh, we, they use the phrase, what the name, the name, even more so than the game. Like at some point in time, coaches can't get the names out of their head. Like I see, I, I do these Charger games. I see people in, in certain instances double teaming Antonio Gates. And I'm like, Antonio Gates is a Hall of Famer. But you don't <laughs> need to double team Antonio Gates right now at this point in his career. He right. probably would tell you the exact same thing. Uh, they're double teaming a reputation um and so i think also some of that can be james Conner wasn't you know it just doesn't have that name right now mm-hmm. that lev bell has i think there is a little bit of that in terms
3: of reputation oh absolutely like did like man i wish i could read the tweet like uh because i was surprised at response because i was waiting to hear like oh he's just a guy we hadn't paid attention he's like hey, not a buck this this dude is real he's a good mm-hmm. he's a good dude he said Uh, I think we underestimate him. He's real. He brings more toughness because of his style. Hard-nosed player, good calmer, no drama. He's the reason why they would go far in the playoffs, in my opinion. He said, look, blue-collar players always seem average. He's not flashy, yes, but that is why they caught us slipping. We just didn't think he was something that we needed to pay attention to. And I think there is something
0: real about that. No question. I know we got going go into these games here, but one of the I just had one more thought here on this Love Bell situation, on the locker room thing, circling back to that real quick. Just not having the information, Buck, and, and watching this thing unfold, the one thing I think of, and think about the teams you've been on, the organizations you've been around, there's always that one rule. Maybe you even hear this rule in marriages, too. Like, at the end of the day, just don't lie to me. Mm-hmm. Don't lie to me. And to me, that looking at the outside, that to me, their reaction and what they do with the locker and all that says – I, I just interpreted and read into it and said Lev Bell must have told these guys one thing and then did another because that type of that type they, they reveled in it. We talked; they 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 showed yeah, like of there was joy in them just being taking all that crap out of his locker and being done with it. And that's the first thought that came to my mind was okay, this is not about him not showing up. This is about him telling them one thing and doing another. That that was just my interpretation.
3: Oh, I I, I absolutely agree. And and make no mistake about it, like the whole Lev Bell thing, because I've kind of been painted as a Lev Bell apologist. A year ago, maybe two years ago, I wrote. The Steelers need to draft a running back high and let Le'Veon Bell go. I come Mm -hmm. from a school of thought where you invest in the running back in the draft. Draft him high, sign him to a five-year deal. Year four, draft another one. Roll till the wheels fall off. Roll until the wheels fall off and then go on to to the next guy. That is how I did it when we were in Carolina. That is kind of how we did it in Seattle. Draft one high, draft a good one. But lean on him, get everything out of him, then move on to the next guy. And I think the bigger thing that I was worried about with the Steelers um, last year, James Conner didn't play at a high enough level. So I was like, man, what is the succession plan? You have to yeah. have a succession plan. Like, it looks like a different. He looks like
0: the old James Conner now.
3: Right. You don't want to necessarily like lock your money in the and Bell. If I had to choose between the three Big Ben, A. B. and Bell, Bell would be number three. But when they didn't make that plan, I was like, well, well hold up wait a minute, like what Like what are we doing? Because I felt like the Steelers didn't necessarily have a plan. Now we see James Conner playing at a high level. Like, I get it, and I, I understand all of that. I also see from Le'Veon's side, based on the guaranteed money and what he was trying to get based on the potential of being able to do the Kirk Cousins thing, play on the tag this year and next year, mm-hmm. would have been about $33 million, that he wanted any long-term deal that he signed, to have at least 33 in real guarantees, that is really the sticking point, and they never could get to that. The Steelers had 17 in real guarantees, 30 in practical guarantees, and so what you were doing was giving a five-year commitment for less guaranteed money. It didn't make sense from a business standpoint, which I understood from Lev Bell's thing. I still would have said, take the money, take the 14 and a half. You would have made 27 million in two years, and then yeah. find out at the end of the year what happens, I see it from both ways. And I think if you're able to be objective, you can be like, oh, okay, look, it's a business move. Steelers stuck in. They dug their heels in. Lead Bell dug their heels in. But you still can have the situation end in an amicable fashion. And I just think it's crazy. I've never seen anything like this. And I just wonder wonder how it will affect those things because I've heard you talk about this a lot. Is the culture in the Pittsburgh Steelers' locker room a championship culture? That's yeah. what I wonder. We'll find out. All right, let's uh, let's jump into these games here.
2: First one up, uh, uh, let it rip. What? What? Bengals at Ravens.
0: Two words, Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson is coming to town. Cincinnati Bengals. I've never seen anything like this where a coach gets fired and a couple weeks later he's working for a divisional team, but never seen anything like it. I'm fascinated to see uh, what kind of impact Hugh Jackson here has uh, for the Bengals, a defense that has fallen apart. They make a change there. Terrell Austin's gone. Marvin Lewis takes it over and, and going on the road to take on a Ravens team. We don't even know who's playing quarterback.
3: I mean, this is unbelievable. Um, But we have kind of seen precedent. I think Josh McDaniel helped out with the New England Patriots when he was fired uh, from the Denver Broncos. Maybe But this was in in the division? Yeah, I mean, like normally within the division. But, look, you got to go to where your people will take care of you. Marvin Lewis (laughs) and Hugh Jackson are like brothers. And so when it went down, there was rumors and innuendo that he may join them. And I think it came to fruition. I think the big thing that I want to see from Cincinnati is, How does this defense change with Marvin Lewis being a D coordinator? He hasn't been a D coordinator in a long time. How does he organize and call a game? How does he take someone else's system and make it his? And what role will Hugh Jackson play? Will Hugh Jackson basically be the associate head coach, help with some of the organizational stuff, the administrative stuff? We'll see. For the Baltimore Ravens, is it time? Is it time to put Lamar Jackson on the field and see what you got? Is it time to see if you can build an offense around him? Joe Flacco hadn't been playing well of late, and now he's injured. Is this a natural transition to Lamar Jackson being their starting quarterback? We said it coming off the bye. That made a lot of sense. We'll see what happens.
2: Cowboys at Falcons.
0: Well, this one for the Cowboys, to me, I just look at this uh, defense that they've got. They are flying around, and we're one of the more underrated defenses in the entire league. And to me, this game against the Falcons on the road, they've got to find a way to generate some turnovers. They did it last week early against the Philadelphia Eagles, Leighton Van Esch, uh, making a play. To me, this Falcons offense is so dynamic and so explosive, you've got to find a way to, to, to steal a couple possessions. They've got to get some turnovers.
3: Yeah, they have to get some turnovers. I've been really impressed with what they're trying to transition to on offense. Amari so Cooper has made a huge difference. Their third down conversion attempts have gone – a percentage has gone up since he's arrived. And I think we are beginning to see a little of the impact that he can make in the running game because he will take away some coverage. For the Atlanta Falcons, I just need to know which Atlanta Falcons team is going to show up. One week I get excited about them. They go and they smash the Washington Redskins. The next week (laughs) they lay an egg versus the Cleveland Browns. I need to know which team is going to consistently step up in the stadium and be available. Offensively, Matt Ryan is a different player at home than he is on the road. He typically has his way at home. Uh, I think his man yards per attempt goes up by almost two yards when he's at home. I think this team can get back on a roll, but they need to play well. They need to really have this game at home if they want to stay in the thick of the NFC South race.
2: Buccaneers at Giants.
3: Speaking of
0: turnovers for the Buccaneers, protect the football, man. You have over 500 yards of offense last week, which leads to three points. Yeah, you got to bring the ball with you when you're moving up and down the field. So that, to me, against the Giants, Giants team coming off a, a big win for them, trying to get their uh, fortunes changed. Uh, Buccaneers, though, I just look at the matchup against that Giants defense, they will be able to move the ball up and down the field.
3: They just can't turn it over. I mean, it's hard to say when Ryan Fitzpatrick or even Jameis winston V gets in. Like Either one of them. They're it's prone to turn Turnovers everywhere. Yeah, apple, Danish cheese, <laughs> turnovers <laughs> everywhere. Turnover, turnover, turnovers down in Tampa. Um, for the New York Giants, look, This is a team that you heard coming out the locker room. They believe that they can win seven in a row. Odell Beckham Jr. thinks that they can find a way to finish nine and seven. I don't know. They played better on Monday night. Odell Beckham was able to get involved in the mix, and we saw the weapons around it. Really, each week comes down to number 10. Which number 10 shows up? Does he play well? Does he have the ability to push the ball down the field with accuracy and consistency? If he's able to do that, the Giants can win. I think they should have their way with this Buccaneers defense. It's really all on Eli Manning.
2: Steelers at Jaguars.
3: Uh, look, this
0: is revenge game here for the Steelers going back to last year. They just didn't have any answers for this Jacksonville team. And when I look at the key to this game, obviously the Jags have been reeling a little bit. Uh, big plays. The Steelers generating big plays. We saw Andrew Luck carve up this Jacksonville defense, did it a lot with the tight ends. Uh, But just generating some big plays down the field, I think they'll have opportunities in this one.
3: This is a get-right game for the Jacksonville Jaguars. If they're going to get right this year, it will start with this game versus Pittsburgh. And sometimes there's some comfort and confidence that comes with playing an opponent that you know you can defeat. Last year they went to Pittsburgh, and they knocked them around and ran it all over them and came back in the playoffs and beat them again, there should be a level of confidence that stems from seeing the Pittsburgh Steelers on the other side. Let's see if the Jaguars can get back to playing the right way. That means being connected on defense and being able to run the ball on offense. It was a winning recipe last year against the Steelers. Let's see if they can do it again in 2018.
2: Texans at Redskins.
0: Well, to me, look, this one, uh, you just go right to the defensive line here for the Houston Texans going up against a, uh, a Washington offensive line that's been decimated by injuries. Um, look, Redskins are going to protect the football. They're going to try and keep this game tight, keep this game close. They play great defense. Uh, but I just look at that Texans defensive line, being able to get after this Washington front, get them off schedule, early downs, uh, negative plays. I think this Houston defensive line, matchup-wise on paper, it heavily favors them.
3: Yeah, this is an interesting game because on paper, you're looking at the Texans, the Texans are hot. And with the Washington Redskins, you just don't know how they're able to sit at 6-3. and three. But the one thing that they've been able to do is they are taking care of the football. Alex Smith only has seven turnovers, hasn't given the ball away. They are really at the top of the list when it comes to giveaways. And then their turnover differential, they're at plus 11. That gives them an opportunity to win. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to, can Adrian Peterson run the football well? Can they stop the run and force Deshaun Watson? And into one-dimensional, pass-heavy situations. If the Washington Redskins are able to do that, I think they find a way to sneak another win, and they go to 73.
2: Titans at Colts. Well, this
0: one, let's, uh, let's stick with that pass rush here because the Colts haven't been giving up sacks. It sounds weird to say, but they have not. They've... They used to make the strong case Chris Ballard has fixed this offensive line, the way they've played with Quentin Nelson and company, uh, Braden Smith, another rookie. They're, just, they're playing great. Um, you look at where they are with Ryan Kelly, playing as well as anybody at the center position. So, to me, that, that Titans defensive line, they're middle of the road in sacks. They've got to find a way to get some pressure on Andrew Luck. If he has a clean pocket like he's had
3: recently, he's going to pick him apart. He is going to pick them apart. And one of the things that I love about the Indianapolis Colts, I love the way they're using the tight end. They're playing as many as five tight ends and finding a way to get production from all of them. They rediscovered and found a way to dust off Eric Ebron. I can dust off that old scouting report. They had him as a top ten player. Because I know, he's playing. that's right. We were he's right. Playing, he's playing like a top ten player for them. Combined, their tight ends have 15 touchdowns, 70 receptions. That's unbelievable production. You talk about the quick rhythm pass game. They've been able to keep Andrew Luck upright. That offensive line is playing well. And if they can get Marlon Mack in the running game established, man, that's a recipe for winning games. I like what the Colts are doing.
2: Panthers at Lions. Well,
0: you know, I feel like I've been hitting this theme hard here with pass rush, but when I look at this Lions offensive line and the issues they've had protecting the quarterback, uh, this should be an opportunity for the Carolina Panthers to heat them up a little bit. And I think there's some pride involved here with the Panthers coming off the egg they laid against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've had a little extra time here to get ready for this game. They should be fresh. They should be motivated. And then when you look in the trenches, I think it uh, it favors their squad.
3: Yeah, it does favor their squad. The thing about the Detroit Lions is really disappointing. This is a team that – man, this team was close going to the playoffs a season ago, but they're not playing right. They still cannot consistently get the running game going. We were excited about Kerry and Johnson a few weeks ago, but now he's kind of falling off the cliff. Let's see if they can reestablish that the running game is critical because then it gives them the opportunity to play action – Make life easier for Matthew Stafford. You talked about the Panthers' pass rush. You have to find a way to slow him down. The running game has to be critical for the Detroit Lions.
2: Broncos at Chargers. Well,
0: for the Broncos, look, I feel like every week we talk about their edge rush, and that's the strength of their team with with Bradley Chubb as well as Vaughn Miller doing their thing. Uh, To me, I think big plays, both sides here are key because seeing this Charger team each and every week, one thing they've done since early in the season, suffering those two losses against Kansas City and the Rams, they've done a nice job of limiting big plays defensively, keep the ball in front of them. And then offensively, especially with Tyrell Williams, they've found a way to generate big plays down the field. So if you're the Broncos... You've got to find a way to limit those big plays from the Chargers. And then on the other side, I think Broncos got to find a way to get big plays. I don't think, again, their offensive line is not very good. I don't think they're going to be able to have those long, sustained drives without suffering a negative play or a turnover. They have to find a way to get some of those big plays that you saw the Rams and the Chiefs get on the Chargers' defense early in the season.
3: Yeah, absolutely. They have to be able to generate chunk plays, explosive plays. I don't think they can drive the ball the length of the field consistently on the Chargers' defense. So, finding a way to get it over top is going to be critical. For the Chargers, man, I think this is a pass, early, run, late type game. And I think that's really the recipe for the Chargers. Pass, early, get up, a lot of play action, a lot of naked, get the ball out. See if they can get a quick 14 on the Broncos. Then you begin to lean on Melvin Gordon and kind of salt it away. It's a recipe that has really, really worked for them the last year and a half. I don't expect them to deviate from it, playing against the Broncos. Hut,
2: hut. Raiders at Cardinals.
0: Well, this one to me with the uh, with the Oakland Raiders is trying to find some type of a vertical passing game. They just when you when you watch them, Buck. So much is underneath, and we can say chicken or egg. We talk about it. Is it Derek Carr choosing to throw the ball underneath? I, I After watching him, I tend to believe it's – the lack of protection and the lack of weapons on the outside, they don't even have any opportunities down the field. But it feels like they're playing half-court basketball. They've got to find a way to expand the field. <laughs> it is. It's like watching. It's like, hey, we got five on five. We're going to run this thing full? No, we're going to go half-court today. Like, are you serious? <laughs> uh, so that, that's kind of thats kind of what it's like when you watch them. They just There's no room. They've got to create some space by getting something going vertically. Even if you're not completing the ball, they've got to take some shots and try and expand the defense.
3: They have to expand the defense. And then if I'm on the other side looking at Arizona Cardinals, Finally, 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 Byron Leftwich has let David Johnson out of timeout. He's let I him know. get out. He's let him play in the yard. And we're seeing that David Johnson is still a very good option to lean on. He's running the ball more, getting more opportunities, and that is going to allow Josh Rosen to be more comfortable. The Arizona Cardinals have played closer games in recent weeks because the offense has a semblance of an NFL feel to it. Part of that is due to David Johnson being a big factor on the offense eagles
2: at saints
0: my high school basketball team buck we had a bunch of shooters and we used to always joke around like you just say we'd be playing a team say if you play zone you're going to lose we, we had a bunch <laughs> of guys that could shoot could shoot threes right so I, I look at this eagles team going up against the saints you better plaster you better play tight coverage you better force drew Brees to throw the ball over your head if you play off against this offense you have no shot, and we always talk about death by a million paper cuts. The thing is, though, with Drew Brees as accurate as he is, and what these guys can do after the catch, it doesn't. You know, some of those little underneath throws end up being, you know, 20, 25, 30 yard gains off of off a ball that's only traveled five yards in the air. You, you've got to make them throw the ball over your head, which is uh, the opposite of what you normally say as a coach coming into a game. Keep everything in front of you, rally, tackle. Let's play good red zone defense. Drew Brees is too accurate. He will carve you up like a Thanksgiving turkey if you don't plaster and play tighter coverage than what the what the Eagles have done this year.
3: Yeah, it's unbelievable the way the New Orleans Saints have kind of evolved their offense. When you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you come in, you're thinking about Drew Brees, but I've said this and I continue to say it. The best running back duo that I've ever seen is Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. And when I look at the numbers, Since 2017, 2,683 rushing yards. That's more than 10 NFL teams have done in that span. Kamara Ingram have scored 42 scrimmage touchdowns since 2017. That's more scrimmage touchdowns than the Cardinals and Bills combined. That says a lot about what they bring to the table. We can talk about Drew Brees, but number 22 and number 41 are what makes the offense go.
2: (laughs) Vikings at Bears.
3: Protect the ball. Pretty simple
0: for the Minnesota Vikings. Protect the football. This is a team in the Chicago Bears that has 16 interceptions and eight fumble recoveries. Uh, They have a turnover differential of plus 13, which if you're scoring at home is best in the NFL. You've got to protect the football if you want to win this game on the road if you're the Minnesota Vikings.
3: Hey, this is it. This is the – This is the breakout performance for Mitchell Trubisky, potentially on a Sunday night game. So I'm getting excited last week. He was offensive player of the week. Now we get a chance to see if he is the real deal. Matt Nagy has kind of worked around him for most of the year, but maybe Trubisky is being more comfortable in the offense. Maybe he's ready to make more plays. If he's ready to be a playmaker in this offense, the Chicago Bears go to the next level? We'll see because this will be the opportunity for them to kind of put – A vice grip on the
2: NFC North. Chiefs versus Rams.
0: Game of the week here. Game of the week here, Buck. For the Chiefs, I'm going to look at this offensive line. Giving up five sacks last week against the Arizona Cardinals is the only thing that scares me about this offense. They are dynamic. They're explosive. Uh, Their defense is playing well. They're getting after the quarterback. I feel better about where they are defensively even than I do the Rams at this point in time in the season. Uh, but to me, I just think if, if you look at a way the Chiefs lose this game on the road, it's because they do not hold up and pass protection. Some of those those chinks in the armor we saw last week, that's what would concern me if you're a Chiefs
3: fan. If I'm the Rams, I'm concerned about the defense. I've, we've talked about the issues that they've had in the back end. Marcus, Peter's not playing well. But I think you need to understand run defense has been an issue. The Seattle Seahawks ran for well over 200 yards against Almost them. Almost 300. And it's happened on a couple of occasions. I think teams now have the blueprint for attacking the Rams. Running the ball is not only a way to attack their defense, but it keeps their offense on the sideline. I think this is a game where Aaron Donald and Ndamukong Sue they have to be able to stop the run because if not, we're going to see a heavy dose of Kareem Hunt. I don't know. They haven't shown that they can stop the run all year. I don't know why we're changing this game.
0: Well, there you go. There's our previews for the games uh, this weekend. And, Buck, I had a chance a little bit earlier on today – Uh, to have a a conversation with somebody that we both know very well and really one of the best in the business. All right, excited to be joined by our good buddy and really one of the best in the business. For my money, the best color commentator, NFL College doesn't matter. It's our next (laughs) guest here. And also the voice of the Madden video game franchise, Charles Davis. CD, how you doing, bud?
4: I'm doing well. Obviously, you got my check in the mail, so I appreciate that (laughs) intro.
0: Hey, you know what's interesting? We'll get into all the football stuff in a minute, but – uh, you've helped me a lot because I've started to call games for the first time this year doing these uh, these Charger games. And yeah. so I get a chance to, when I get a chance to see games now, and if, if the Chargers have a late game and you might be calling an early game, I'm, I might hear everybody, and you listen to it differently once you have to do it. It's totally different. And and I knew you were yeah, I knew you were a pro, and I knew you were very good at this. But now that I've kind of gone through it myself, I have an even greater appreciation <laughs> for your preparation and for your presentation. It's second to none, buddy.
4: Uh, You're awfully kind. I appreciate it. I think all of us who do it, do it to the best of our abilities, whatever our preparation is, et cetera. But I had told you that a long time ago. I said, once you start calling them, you never watch a game the same way. Like you're sitting at home, right? And you're just wanting to chill and watch, you know, Monday night football or Sunday night football or whatever it is. (laughs) There's no way that you watch it the way you used to. Now you're seeing camera angles you're wondering and you have an idea what the producer's saying and you're in your, in, in, the, in their ear you know up oh, here comes a commercial break you know oh i don't know about that oh god i wish i'd said this you know when when that when i did, had a chance mm-hmm. it's amazing you just go through a whole roller coaster and it's got to the point now where i don't think my family wants to watch a game with me anymore because they don't want to hear it <laughs> well, well, I,
0: I, I, i'll say this too you have it so much harder doing television because the beautiful thing i've learned about radio is I could call something completely wrong.
4: They don't know. They're just listening to yeah. it. They can't see it.
0: So it's it's a nice you know, little benefit there.
4: It's funny. I'll, I'll let you move on on this one. But since you said that, way back in the day, I forgot who it was. It might have been Graham McNamee, who was one of the great voices of radio back in the day and calling sports. He talked about what you just said. You know, when you call radio games, who knows? And back in the days when you were calling radio games, and just remember a lot of guys didn't have numbers. Hit it for the longest oh, time, right? Yeah. God, they were just oh. jerseys, and, and you had to know who they were. But even if they had numbers, I think I think former President Reagan said when he was calling radio that if there was a mistake that would happen, he said the lateral was the greatest play in the history of football because if he had the wrong ball carrier when he was calling a game, he would once he realized the, the the other guy had the ball, he would just say that the first guy lateraled it to him. So if you listen to one of those old radio broadcasts, there might have been thirty laterals in a game, and you're like, "Wow, those guys really pitch it around a little about, razzle and, dazzle." And it may never have happened. So that was that. <laughs> so you just have to adapt it with what you have. That's
0: so good. All right, let's uh, let's jump into some football here. You've got uh, you got Cowboys Falcons right this week. Yes. What did you see uh, studying that Cowboys team and looking at that game against Philadelphia? What changed?
4: For me, it was something that's worked for them throughout the season, but for whatever reason, they haven't stayed with enough, and that's putting in the chest at number 21, Ezekiel oh. Elliott. Now, remember, he only had 19 carries, but they threw it to him seven times, completed six of them, and he was averaging around eight yards a carry. So when he took the ball, he got chunks. And, of course, picking up Amari Cooper, look, whatever we felt about them giving up a number one for Amari Cooper – that remains to be seen whether that was absolutely the right move or not. But in the short term, he has opened up their offense. He has eaten up the the, the, the targets. He has eaten up catches. He has eaten up attention, which has been the biggest thing for them. Because now it allows uh-huh. Michael Gallup to operate a little bit more. You know, Elliott coming out of the backfield. Cole Beasley gets a few more opportunities. So all those things are coming together for them. But when you've watched them play this year, DJ, to me it's been if they Feature Zeke and keep sticking in his chest, that helps them. Now, they've had games where they gave him 20 carries. He got 54 yards. I think that was the Tennessee game. Yeah. The second part is, if they don't use Dak Prescott in the quarterback run game, I don't know why not. They yeah. are so much better when he's in quarterback run game. Just look at his rushing totals for the year, equaling wins. Look for the non-rushing totals, equaling losses. Because yeah. the defense has played well all year long, and this Leighton Vander Esch, you know, Sean uh, we, Lee's got the injury, and that's too bad. But this is exactly why they drafted Van Der Ash.
0: His, has his neck stopped growing yet? Is it is it, no. still, is it still growing? It's the biggest that's neck his, ever. It's unbelievable. I, I,
4: DJ, I'm just going to tell you, you know this game as well as anyone. When we watch linebackers nowadays, they're all these little guys. And when I say mm-hmm. little guys, I mean they're pumped-up strong safeties who can fly, oh, hit, yeah. make plays – Mm -hmm. Right, the Quan Alexanders, the Deion Joneses of the world. Vander Esch is old school, man. That's a 256 pound, it's a big dude, and everybody thinks he's just a downhill cat. He's a sideline to sideline, end zone to end zone player. Oh, yeah. When I look at him, you know who I think of by size is Mike Vrabel because Vrabel moves around like Erlacher, though. Wouldn't you think he does? Moves totally like Erlacher. But he is that type of a guy because I look at Vrabel coaching in today's NFL, and his players in preseason were all like, what position did you play, coach? And he was like, I was a linebacker. And they were like, no.
0: I thought you were a defensive tackle.
4: Exactly. Because it's just so much different. But Van Der Esch has that kind of size. But he's a lot like Earl in his ability to move, diagnose, make plays, and thump.
0: What do you think of my, uh, of my coffee mug here, Chuck?
4: I love that. It says, for those listening, it says,
0: it says this guy is one awesome dad with the arrow pointing up. And I was telling the guys beforehand, you know, the sad part is I bought it for myself.
4: (laughs) Well, you got to do what you got to do because, you know, you're at that stage now with the four kids that your gifts are come from a very limited category. (laughs) Socks, ties, and coffee mugs. (laughs) And coffee mugs. And outside of that, you're pretty much done.
0: Well, it's it's so true. Uh, looking at the uh, at the rest of the NFC, best best team you've seen this year, most impressive thing or team you've seen this year.
4: I saw New Orleans last week against Cincinnati, and I know everyone's going to say, "Well, Cincinnati, the defense is bad." I agree. I don't disagree at all. They're they're on pace to set historical records that no one wants to set on the defensive side of the ball. Terrell Austin, who was getting head coaching interviews up until this year. Had to be fired by Marvin Lewis, and Marvin Lewis is taking the defense back for himself to try and salvage the season. Because people I remember, they're just 5 and 4. So they're not mm-hmm. totally out of this thing if they can get it done. But what New Orleans has done the last couple of weeks, where they outran the Rams 45 35, and this one started out like a shootout, I mean, it may look like a total blot, which it was. But DJ, the opening kickoff, New Orleans goes downfield and scores. Cincinnati mm-hmm. gets kick kickoff. They take a downfield and score. New Orleans gets kick kickoff. They take a downfield and score. <laughs> Cincinnati's at midfield on a fourth and one. and a short one, Marvin Lewis makes the right call. Let's go for it. The third string, tight end. Matt Lengel jumps. Oh, now it's fourth and five. Game over, They punt really? the ball. They <laughs> punt the ball. And as soon as they punted, I was like, well, this thing's done. That's what I said in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And New Orleans takes it downfield and scores. They scored their first nine possessions. They, we threw a put, graphic right? up on the board, right? We, listen, two things. We threw a graphic on the board and said, last time we saw something like this, the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf, went 10 straight,
0: mm-hmm.
4: 2,000 season. Second thing was we pointed out Thomas Morstead and said that he's now an all-pro holder. He no longer has to worry about punting because he holds <laughs> for extra points and yeah. field goals, yeah. and he never got on the field. He's had 19 punts all season after, this ball, after that game. 19. There's...
0: There's some absurd stat, right, where it's like 16 of their last 19 drives have resulted in points. Like, some ridiculous it, – it's ridiculous the way they're playing right now.
4: Do you know that after games now, whenever Morriston never doesn't punt, he and Drew Brees take a picture together? So that <laughs> wall is going to be littered in their <laughs> locker room. But, but the thing about it is they're doing it so many different ways. They can run it. They can throw it. That offensive line that I think is the best in football, especially when they get Armstead back, he, he missed about half of our game because he got hurt dominating a, de- a defender, just just, just pile-drove him and fell on him and hurt himself. But they are terrific because they move well as an offensive line, they move people well, and then they protect Drew Brees awfully well, and then Drew can run it with Kamara and with Ingram. And I thought in this last game, DJ, that Sean Payton did something where I felt really smart, and I don't know if he'd ever say it or admit it, but I'm firmly convinced that he went into that game and said, I've got to get Mark Ingram back as part of the offense, not just because he's a good player, but I've got to keep this guy motivated and in the game. Because Alvin Kamara is a sensation. We know mm-hmm. that. And he's probably bypassed Mark Ingram. But they're going to need those tough yards down the stretch. They're need that bump running it inside. It's not that Kamara can't, but Ingram does it a little bit better. And he got him going, and he ran for over 100 yards. So you think Mark Ingram's not a little bit happier walk around that locker room? This week? <laughs> he certainly is.
0: No question. I, I want to get you one more before I let you run here. Uh, you get a chance in these production meetings, and we talk about it all the time in the spring. You get to visit with these coaches. So many great stories come out of those meetings. Some you can share, some you can't. But in terms yeah. of trying to find this next wave <laughs> of coaches, and we're trying. I'm looking at this. You know, the potential openings that could pop on the coaching front. And everything seems to be, okay, trying to find that next offensive guy. You see what Nagy's done with yep. the Bears. And, uh, obviously, it starts with McVay. And then Shanahan has, you know, got the 49ers once they get healthy, going in the right direction. But in these production meetings, meeting with some of these coordinators, uh, have you met with anybody that you've, you've met with and said, you know what, that, that could be the guy. That could be the next one.
4: Stand on the track that you're on, let's we'll stay on the offensive side. Tennessee yeah. hired Matt, Matt LaFleur. And, remember, he had been with Sean McVay. Before that, he'd been in Atlanta with Kyle Shanahan. And I think he's doing a really nice job because I think if you and I'd had, had this conversation four or five games into this season, we would have been really questioning Marcus Mariota what. Oh, we? no
0: question. No question. Right. And,
4: and and you you know my affinity for Marcus Mariota. And you've I've been all in from, from jump, yeah. From, from day one. But this was the first time I was starting to have my, my doubts that could he really make this move and ascend. And I knew he was hurt a little bit, but still, I mean at that point he <laughs> throwing like three touchdown passes on the year. These last four games, three, four games, now we're seeing it. And I think there's a big, heavy influence from LaFleur. You see what they're doing on offense. they got Corey Davis going. So on that offensive side, yes. But if we're not going to neglect the defense, I'm going to see a guy this weekend named Chris Richard, yeah. who in Dallas went there to be the passing game coordinator on defense and coached the DBs. And early in the tenure there, Rod Marinelli, the esteemed D coordinator, one of the best the game has ever seen, He turned play calling over to Chris Richard because he said it just works better. It started where he was going to call the third downs and the passing defenses. And in the middle of the game, (laughs) Marinelli said, just take it. And (laughs) it's kept it ever since. And I think there's a riser on the side, even though the numbers aren't there this year. Keep it on Marquand Manuel from from Atlanta. I think he's got the right moxie to him. I think he's got the the, 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 the wanting to, to, the love of football in him. A former player, relates well to the players he's coaching, and he's just been crushed by injuries. When you lose Ricardo Allen, Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, that's your Bermuda Triangle in the middle of the defense. No they question. were gone week one, week one and two. Hard to adapt to that, but he's got those guys playing hard, albeit the Cleveland game was was not one that anyone would be proud of.
0: When you said the uh, what you were saying about Marinelli handing the play calling over, and said, just go, man. For some reason, I was thinking of them dumb and dumber. But, uh, you know, <laughs> not, not, neither here nor there.
4: But, but, uh, not, but not in this instance. Not with those two.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, please no. Please no. Uh, hey, before you go, say hi to Ben, because your buddy Ben over there at EA, he, he listens to the yes. podcast all the time. And I know it, he, he would appreciate the little shout-out from his buddy.
4: Hey, hey when, when, this, this bad boy's going up this week, right?
0: Oh, yeah, this will be up today.
4: Okay, good. Hey, Ben, just so you know, DJ and I, we love doing this. Um, say hi to Bucky for me, too, so when I see him next time. But this is something that we could do at EA as well, my man. Don't even don't even think about leaving us out of that bad boy. And last <laughs> but not least, there's a guy named Tori Gurley who played in the NFL for a while. He's headed to London to do some Sky Sports. So, Ben, if you're listening, he wants some tips on different things to do. And he actually prepares for games, believe it or not. This is the truth using the Madden game because it goes through personnel that way. That's he, actually pretty so, smart. It's pretty smart. Now, he's getting ready to fly over to London to do Sky Sports stuff. He's going to work on the Madden game the entire way, working on personnel, who's there, what's happening. That's a great so, idea. So, Ben, if you have an opportunity, I'd love for you to talk with Tory and, and, and give him a few more pointers about how to do it with the Madden way. I just took notes. How's I mean, that? I've got,
0: I've got an, I've got an Xbox about ten feet from here. I mean, I could be. It's work related, honey. It's work related. You know? I was trying to get ready for you the made, game this weekend.
4: You, Davis Webb was the backup with the Jets when he was yeah. in high school. He played for his dad, and he used the Madden game to design different plays and, and formations and, and schemes that he would take to his father and say, "Can <laughs> we implement this?" That is so pretty good. cool.
0: I love that. Hey, you've been generous with your time uh, today, Chuck. I appreciate you, man. We're gonna we're gonna be here before long. It's gonna be All Star Game season, and we're gonna be going to the yes, draft. And we're seeing a whole lot of one another. But I know you're All crazy right. busy right now. We appreciate you taking some time for us today.
4: I'm I'm no busier than you are, brother. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You enjoy your mug. How about my boys from McGill? Oh yeah, t- another tough year, but they actually got to the semifinals in their conference. So we hope the better days ahead. Go Red
0: there you go always always supporting his guys all right there he is charles davis thank you buddy thank you all right buck there you have there's a, a conversation there with charles davis he is there is not a finer human being on planet earth than cd i just love want to get a chance to, to visit with him uh he said to say hello to you buck he is uh he's always grinding he's always working there will be nobody uh that will be more prepared to call a game in the nfl
3: or any level really than charles davis he is a preparation junkie and he knows his stuff He does know his stuff, learned so much about him throughout, I mean, just over the years, just watching how he prepares for games, watching how he goes through, and just knows so much information about so many different things, college game, pro game. Oh, shoot, uh, movies. Movies, (laughs) historical facts, anything. He's kind of all-knowing. I guess he would be kind of our Yoda uh, when we think about it when it comes to path to the draft and everything. But love getting his insights, and I think he does a terrific job on the telecast.
0: All right, let's jump in. We've uh, we're crunch for time here. We got to roll through these college games. The good news is the college slate this week is terrible. Uh, <laughs> roll the music here. Let's go. Syracuse Notre Dame. It's the 2-point game here, Buck. What are you thinking? I'm going with the Irish.
3: I just got to go yeah. with all the favorites.
0: Yeah, I'm going Notre Dame as well. Bucky's trying to get back in this thing, so he's going to go I'm, chalk. I'm, let's I'm go will, Cincinnati UCF. Buck, we always roll with UCF. We're rolling with UCF. Right? No, no, you're no, 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 no. Hold, hold up,
3: hold up, Whoa. hold up. Cincinnati, Cincinnati in the building. Cincinnati what? is in the building. At some point, the streak has to end. This is the week. Why, this why is you the week. The Bearcats. The why Bearcats. Doing, we're we're the Bearcats. Team McKenzie Milton. We've always been Team I like McKenzie Melton, but this is the week. The Bearcats get them.
0: All right, you're on your own there. The rest of us, uh, Sully, Kent, myself, we're rolling with UCF. All right, Texas,
3: Iowa State. What do you think here, Buck? Oh, man, you can't see me, but I, I'm hooking, hook them. Hook them oh, horns. Hook em horns. Let's go Texas. Let's get it. We're trying to bring back. Texas is back. I think it happens this week.
0: Oh, man, you got to play Bucky's music again. What? You're the only one picking these guys. Oh, man, come on. What are you on. doing yourself? Come on. Iowa State's a better football team. Go uh, Iowa State there. They're Physical. playing at home. They're playing at uh, home. doesn't matter. Come Were on. they playing at home when West Virginia came in there and got after a them? Different BS team. team different team. Uh, Duke and Clemson. Uh, come on. You're not picking Duke, are you? You don't have that kind of guts. I mean, I couldn't pick Duke. It wouldn't matter anyway. So I'm gonna go with Clemson. I'm going go to Tigers. Uh, Clemson. By the way, if you haven't, go back and listen to our podcast interview <laughs> with Dexter Lawrence, so you can hear Bucky Brooks' story about what happened when he was at North Carolina at the bottom of the hill against Clemson. We it's should all time story. I'm gonna text all time.
3: I'm, I'm gonna text Daniel Jones. I'm gonna tell him, "Hey, just run to the hill, run to the bottom of the hill. Come on down, come on,
0: come wave on him down, wave him down." down. It's a great story. You gotta do it. Uh, all right, West Virginia at Oklahoma State. Uh, Kent is going with Oklahoma State. I'm what? going West Virginia. Kent, Who you got, Buck? The Kent must
3: be Thanksgiving is next week. Sully's going West Virginia. I'm going West
0: Virginia. Will Greer. Yeah, Will Greer. Yeah, we're always, we always rule with Will Greer. So Kent's alone there at Oklahoma State. A lot of times when Kent's a lone wolf, though, he ends up getting us. All right, Arizona Arizona State. We've got the wrong logo there. Arizona State. Or no, Arizona at Washington State. You are the right logo. Arizona at Washington State. Uh, clean sweep for Washington State, right? Nobody's yep. going with Arizona yep. there. Yep, all right, we're all good there. Wow, Indiana, Michigan, really? If this oh, was
3: basketball, this would be a good one. Basketball I know my Hoosiers good look one.
0: good. Did you see? Hey, we I got this kid Romeo Langford as a freshman. He's nice.
3: Did three zero. three zero. Archie it's Miller early. playing. We got. It's we're early. playing defense. It's early.
0: It's uh, I it's like early. it. All right, UAB, Texas A and M. Anybody have the guts to go UAB? I'm. not nah, I don't A&M. know it yet.
3: I don't know enough about UAB yet, so I'm gonna go A and I I haven't
0: watched a lot of UAB. I'm gonna be honest with you. They're nine and one though. That looks good, but we're all taking A and M. Mm. Arizona State uh, at. Oregon. This is an interesting game. Herm Edwards has got the uh, Sun Devils rolling here. I'm going to go, though. I'm going to go Oregon at home. Throw up to pitchforks. Are you lone wolfing again?
3: Yeah, Arizona Jeez, State. Let's Buck? get it. Let's get
0: it. Somebody take the shovel out of Bucky's hand. What he are you just talking about? are a deeper hole on, every week. Either
3: your first or last. It doesn't matter. All right. USC,
0: UCLA. USC 5 and 5. Clay Helton said he wants to coach there for the next 15 years. It's said not, he's been told not by Swan. Not going to be there. You're not, you're, not, you're not very not bullish on that opinion. Seniors, nope. uh, let's see. Sully's going USC. Kent's going USC. Who do you like here, Buck?
3: I'm going with the Trojans. I mean, i got to go with your Trojans. I know you grew up being a USC fan. This should be easy. We got a chalk. This is clean sweep, right?
0: I grew up as a USC fan. Correct. But in this one, oh my I think gosh. Chip Kelly at home. Oh, my UCLA's God. third At home, I don't, I, I'm not a homer, man. I'm not a homer. I, I go with what I see here. UCLA showing some positive signs offensively. Really? USC struggling. Really? USC just kicked another kid off the team. They've had all kinds of issues there this year, man. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sold on the quarterback either. So uh, I'm going to go. Oh, you're uh, not sold on UCLA. JT? Dane, ready to throw, him, so out. Ready to so throw him out. Not so much. Ready to nah, throw him out. No, I'm not out. throwing him out. I'm just saying I like to see him work through
3: progression. That's all. Yeah. I mean. uh, <laughs> He that's should. it that's it. He, should be, he should be playing at modern day high school right now. That's what he should be doing. But he, he graduated early to go to SC. Graduated how many
0: how many nah, I'm not gonna say anything. I was gonna say something that wasn't. No, good no, no. Age, he just so he just graduated say. early.
3: He just he just rushed to make sure he could graduate no. early. Be a part of I was Detroit. just
0: thinking back, man, if I could have done eighth grade twice, Buck, I might have gone to North Carolina and played with you, man. <laughs> you twice. Just saying. I wish just a, I, I wish, wish I could have been that man. How much how fun nice would that, would that have be? Been? You ever think about that? Man. Think about your freshman year in college if you were a senior in high school, how much fun that would be? Oh, it'd be so much fun. It'd be like being a superhero.
3: Yes. It'd be a Superhero on the field. Oh. You could do everything. You remember Jeez. going back
0: I know we're out of time. Last thing. Do you remember coming back though after you just got to college and you come back to your high school and watch it and you go, Oh my gosh, this is so slow
3: Man, better yet, I got a better story. I went back um my freshman year and I played basketball like i just practiced with the basketball team man, man i feel like i was oh, jordan dominated. i feel like oh, i was yeah. jordan <laughs> <laughs> I'm the older guy. Yeah, how much fun is that? Everybody oh. should have that opportunity to go back oh, man. just once as an older guy. I with couldn't all the do it. Man, knowledge. a lot of
0: people around here hold their kids back, and my son, I'm like, he's getting straight A's. I'm gonna tell him he's gonna do eighth grade again because I want him to be you know, play varsity <laughs> football as a freshman. Get out of here! Uh, all right, let's uh, let's get out of here. That's gonna do it for us today. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to check out all of our videos: nflcom
3: uh, mtsvideoyoutube.com youtubecom slash nfl. Bucky, your notebook, real quick. What's in the notebook? Well, we're going to tackle a little bit on whether the Tennessee Titans should make Marcus Mariota the next $100 million man. Whoa, there you go. Check that out, NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. It is the
0: best weekly column going. Uh, Bucky always has lots of knowledge in there to uh, to drop on you guys. All right, that's going to do it for you. We'll see you right next, year, next year. How about next week? Next week right here on Move the Sticks.